All right, so let's start the fun. This morning, we're going to deal with the lovely, easy topic of anxiety. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 6, starting in, in verse 25. It'll also be in your bulletin and on the screen behind me. But what we're jumping into, we're jumping into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a big section of Jesus' teaching, where uh, you'll hear this refrain a lot, where Jesus says, hey, you've, you've heard it said this, and you've got pretty good at obeying it, but I tell you this, there's a whole other layer. And what he's basically saying is, you've gotten really good at following the rules, but I'm here to drill down at the heart. What's going on underneath? What's going on in your heart motivations uh, and the internal life that causes you to do the things that you do? And just like that today in the topic of anxiety, Jesus drills down at our hearts and it's not always comfortable, but it is always good. And so this morning, uh, would you read along with me Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Uh, The very words of Christ. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, this is the like richest, most extravagant king in their entire history, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you pray with me? God, our hearts are anxious a lot, and this is a pretty pertinent topic. We really need you to speak to us this morning, so would you, would you open your word Would you allow us to hear your loving invitation? Would you be active? Would you meddle where we need to be meddled with? Would you comfort us where we need comfort? And would your word go into our lives and bear much fruit? We ask for that with confidence in the name of our risen King Jesus. Amen. So I want to introduce you to someone who's very near to me this morning. I've brought along a picture of my good friend, Bodley. Bodley is our dog. Bodley is a slightly anxious dog, a slightly high-strung dog. She looks very innocent in that picture, but if you notice at her feet, there's a strip of carpet, well, a strip of what used to be carpet. We made the tragic mistake of putting Bodley in a room with the door closed, and she decided that that was a good time to panic and pull up all the carpet under the doorway. Now, she did this not once, 
Not twice, but three different times, including one time after we'd already have it, had it patched. Oh, this is a fun one. So Bodley one day was left at home with the whole house to roam, having learned our lesson not to put her in a room. She decided to somehow push open the door to the garage and eat half a bag of fertilizer. That's for the fruit tree, Bodley, not for you. She must have thought this smells really gross, so I should eat it. And she did. And then we had some really quality time in the backyard, allowing that to come back up. But Bodley has really proven her anxiety lately uh, in rare form. Yes, that, that's the look of guilt and shame, and appropriately so. We have used this lovely thing called a crate since Bodley was very little, and she's always been fine. She takes a nap. When we come home, we let her out. Just, you know, protect her, let her rest some, protect the house from her, as you've seen needs to happen. So we put her in a crate, and we left, and we come back, and the crate was not where we had left it. And that plastic tray at the bottom was, if the crate's here, plastic tray is over here, shoved out against the wall. And Bodley has mangled the metal of the crate. So essentially, she either thought she was the Incredible Hulk and could break out of that, or she had a panic attack and freaked out. Um, You can see the marred metal there where she literally pushed her face through so hard that she bent the metal and looked like she'd been a boxer in a prize fight when we get home with like puffy eyes and everything. Uh, It was crazy. She literally lost sight of the fact that we love her. We always come home. We feed her. She will be fine. And all that was true is I have got to get out of this cage. And she almost did. And she tried really, really hard. That's Bodley. Bodley is an anxious dog. And in my household, uh, it is a fun pastime to consider the ways that Bodley and I are similar. Besides both being fairly adorable, uh, we're both very easily distracted, um, sometimes overly affectionate. We're, we're interesting people, but we also both strongly experience the pull of anxiety. And it's fun when we talk about a dog. But anxiety is something that most of us who have been alive longer than five minutes have felt fairly deeply. It it only takes a a few moments of turning on the news to be given about 800 things that you should feel anxious about. The planet's going to blow up. There's terrorist attacks. Someone's going to commit war on somebody else. There might be a tornado on your house. This is going to flood. That's going to happen. You should be afraid and worried about everything. And then if we look to our own lives, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my work? What's going to happen to my family? Are my kids going to be okay? Am I ever going to get a family? There are things that constantly bombard us and say, you should be worried and you should be anxious about this. It is common to the human experience. And most of us who are marginally aware know it well. And sometimes, like anything that you're so aware of, it can almost become like background noise, like a fan that's on that you don't really notice anymore, that you're so used to feeling anxious that you forget that that's actually uh, has consequences in your life and is actually detrimental to you. It actually gives us that tunnel vision uh, where we forget God, we forget what we're made for. It, it often reveals that something in our heart is misaligned and out of order. And it was important enough for Jesus to bring up and talk about directly. So this morning, we're going to look at what is going on with anxiety. 
And we're going to essentially ask three things of the passage, three questions. And this is your outline. It won't be up there. You'll actually have to remember it or write it down, but I have confidence in you. I'm going to ask three questions of this text. Well, first off, what is anxiety? What is this passage actually telling us about anxiety? What does Jesus say about it? That's where we're going to go first and look at a couple of things. Well, then we're going to look at what does anxiety actually reveal about the state of our heart? That'll be the fun one. And then finally, we're going to ask the question, so what do we do? If all these things are true, what do we do about it? What, what hope and encouragement or challenge does this passage provide for us today? So let's look at the first one. What is it? Well, Jesus is talking about things that seem pretty straightforward. Worrying about food, drink, and clothing. Does that seem like a bad list of things to worry about? Right? We would say if you throw shelter in there, those are the top four things a human needs to not die. It seems like if you're going to worry about things, that's a pretty good list of things to worry about. It's not like, oh, gee, I hope my favorite sports team's going to win tonight. You know, it's like, I hope I have food and drink. So it's interesting that Jesus pulls out this list of very common, seemingly normal material things and says not to worry about them. Now, in that culture especially, you had a lot more common occurrences of things like famine and drought, where uh, food security was not what we experience today. Now, some of us have been in a place in life or are currently in a place in life where we have worried, where will my next meal come from? Where will my clothing and shelter come from? But for many of us, by God's grace, that is not where we're at. But we've all created a kind of minimum acceptable need, right? A minimum acceptable need of like, I need these things in life to, to really be okay. To, to feel peace, to feel security, these things have to happen. Uh, and we all have a different list, right? It may be, I need the job security that I hope will finally come. Or I need to actually find a job so I can provide for my family. Or I need my kids to turn out all right to make good choices or to make better choices or to make any choices. I need to get that house finally paid off or get in a better living situation or for us to finally stop working on all the home improvement projects that are in our house. We all have this standard of things like, I I need this to happen to be okay. These things in our material world have to happen. And And if an easier way maybe to get at that question is to ask, what keeps you up at night? What are the things that kind of rob you of your sleep that you're worried about? I really, really hope this happens. Or I really, really hope this doesn't happen. That often will expose our anxiety. The things that we care deeply about either needing to get or really needing to make sure that we don't lose. But it's interesting because it doesn't seem like a bad list. Now let me offer a few qualifications as we talk about anxiety It's a little bit of a challenging topic. I want to be clear what I'm not talking about. I've had a seminary professor, a good friend, many people I've known who struggling with anxiety was not a choice, but a psychological and physical condition in their life. I had a very faithful seminary professor who had panic attacks on airplanes, had a stress-induced stutter, Uh, Things that were not his choice, they were not sin, they were just simply aspects of the fact the world is broken and fallen, and this is how it has manifested in that person's life. 
Those people often, those of us that struggle with that will often need medication, counseling, those types of things. It's part of what we long for the return of Christ for, to fix the ways in which we've experienced brokenness. So I want to be clear, I'm not talking about that type of anxiety that's unpreventable, that needs help, um, that needs love and support. That's not really uh, the choice I'm talking about this morning. Um, Also, I think it's worth distinguishing between anxiety as an emotion, which you will experience, which is not a sign of unfaithfulness, and anxiety as a choice, a place where we dwell, a place that we can live in and fixate on and ruminate in. I think that's an important distinction of the experience of anxiety and the lingering in anxiety. Because we, we all kind of have a choice of what are we going to do with that emotion? Where will we turn with it? I also think this final qualification is worth saying. The Bible, Jesus, are never against strong, often what we would call negative emotions. So what I'm not saying to you this morning is, don't feel anxiety. Be the happy and sometimes creepy Christian that never has anything wrong with them and is always smiling and there's no problem in life. Life is hard. There are things to be anxious about. But what do we do with that? How do we respond? If you read the Psalms for more than one chapter, you will discover that the Bible is not bashful about deeply wrestling with things. Jesus, or not, sorry, not Jesus, um, David, who points to Jesus, David writes Psalms that sometimes would make us embarrassed, things that he will say to God, like, why have you abandoned me? Where are you? Do you care? Prayers that we might not pray. The, bash, the Bible is not bashful about strong emotions. But in all those psalms, they are directed towards the Lord. They are poured out to God. So I'm not saying be a creepy Christian who never struggles with things. But I am saying it invites the question of what do we do with the emotions that we experience. So the passage talks about, okay, what is it? Worry, uh, fear over, uh, desire to control our material world is a little bit what's being talked about here. Well, the passage also gives us this really sad truth. If you're like me, you may have perfected the spiritual gift of anxiety. That you are a serial worrier, that you could go pro in your skills at worrying. The sad news this morning that I have to break to you is that in verse 27, Jesus lovingly pushes back and says, Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? So to put that in scale... Most Americans live almost up to 700,000 hours, and worrying will not add a single one. Probably it will take a few away, but it's not going to do any good. It's not going to help anything. So Jesus kind of lovingly reminds us, your worrying doesn't really take you anywhere. And the final thing that we see about it, which is fairly challenging in verse 32, Jesus makes the point that a lifestyle of worry and anxiety is not the type of thing that is to mark the life of a Christian. You may have missed it, but in verse 32, he talks about the Gentiles seek after these things. And in this context, in the time that this is written, you have God's people, Israel, who have God's instructions. He has revealed himself to them. And you have the Gentiles, which are the people who do not know God. So it makes sense. He is saying, hey, people who don't know God, if you're here this morning and you're not sure about Christianity, you're not sure if God is real, if it's worth your time, you should be worried about what you eat, drink, and what you wear. 
if this material world is all that there is, you should be stressed out about it. You should be anxious. You should be worried. That is a perfectly normal response. If that is all that is true and real, yes, you should be anxious. But Jesus says, you know better. I've revealed myself to you. I have told story over story of my faithfulness to my people. Being anxious over all those physical things, being worried about what's going to happen to them, that is the business of people who don't know me. But you are called to more. You have been shown more. A lifestyle of anxiety is not the thing that is to mark the life of a believer. If you are here this morning and you're not sure about all this faith thing, hang in there because there's some really good news coming about anxiety, about God's care for us. But those are the three things we see in that first point. Now the fun part. Why is it a big deal? Why is it worth talking about? It's because anxiety reveals things about the state of our heart. This is where God likes to meddle, and we don't always appreciate it. Last, a week or two ago, I was sitting at my favorite coffee shop in Sanford. It's on a lake. It's beautiful. They do great pour-overs. We can go there sometime. I'm sitting there. I'm thinking about anxiety. I'm journaling. I prayed the prayer I usually do of, God, you know, teach this to my heart first. First mistake. Uh, not a mistake. It's a good thing to do. But I was journaling and God answered that prayer. And what he showed me was a little bit painful. He's, it kind of became apparent in my eyes that there are times when I am really stressed out, when I am really anxious, when I'm really overwhelmed with what's going to happen in a particular area of life. And when that time comes, that is the time I am least likely to pray. Ow, that's a little bit of a sucker punch, God. Thank you. Thank you for showing me that. My faith is incredibly small in times when it really matters. But it was that fascinating point that my leaning towards anxiety and my staying there actually revealed something about my belief in God. Because in that moment that I am fixated on my problem and forgetting God, I have done a great reversal. I have done a reversal where I have said, I am all powerful. I alone have the control over this issue to fix it, to make it better. The responsibility of this thing that is bothering me rests squarely on these puny shoulders. And God is impotent. He doesn't have any power. He can't help me. Because in that moment, I'm not looking to God. I'm not asking for his help. Instead, I am fixating on how do I resolve this stress and this anxiety I feel. As if I have said, you can add nothing to this equation and I have the entire responsibility. How foolish. How sad that is. But so often, our anxiety shows what we really believe. Right? Because if if we're dwelling in anxiety and not turning to God, it suggests one of a few things. One, maybe we're not sure he's actually good. Right? Maybe we don't know if he's actually good. Maybe we think he's strong, but maybe he's not really kind. Or maybe we think he doesn't really care. He's off doing God things. I'm off doing me things. And he's got to take care of that. And I got to take care of this. Maybe we think he doesn't care. Or maybe we think he can't actually help. Maybe he's not strong. Yeah, he cares, but he's like, oh, I wish I could help your life, but I can't because, you know, I'm not strong. 
What does our anxiety reveal about what we really believe is true about God? And what do we believe is really true about ourselves? And the painful truth this morning, at least for me, is that our anxiety often reveals a disconnect. A disconnect in the things that we say we believe. I believe God's good, especially on Sunday mornings when I'm singing songs. I believe he's strong and he's great. But then when it starts getting hard, that kind of reveals my functional belief. This is the belief I espouse that I'll say out loud. But what's my functional belief? How do I actually live? And if there's a gap there, it begs the question, do I really believe the things that I say I believe? That is not a comfortable question. I did not like wrestling with it. It is not enjoyable, but I invite you into the discomfort this morning because if God is only good for singing worship to on Sunday mornings and having a bumper sticker theology of cute things we say about him and he doesn't help out or matter in the times when life is hardest and toughest, then we're all delusional and insane. That our our faith and our belief really is not worth a whole lot if it doesn't count, if he's not good enough and strong enough to help in our anxiety and our stress and our worry. It became clear as I was praying and journaling that in the times of anxiety, I was a functional atheist. Ouch. Thank you, God. No, really, thank you, but ouch. Revealing that often, in the hard times, we don't really believe the things we say we believe. Anxiety reveals a lot of our heart. And anxiety also, what happens is when we get anxious, we often get, um, we often become short-sighted, right? When we're anxious, the only thing that is true is the thing that we're worried about. We lose perspective of everything. Jesus says this when he talks about, is, is not your uh, life more than food? Is not your body more than clothing? Essentially the idea of, is your life really only worth this much? Or are you made in the image of God? Has he, he called you into relationship with himself, invited you to take part in his kingdom and the epic story of redemption that he is unleashing over all eternity? Or does your life only matter for what you eat, drink, and wear? Like bodily, we can often get that tunnel vision where all we see is our immediate surroundings and we forget that there's a bigger story going on. That we've been invited into a far more epic tale than just trying not to die too early. You were made for more than that. That's the reminder that Christ puts out to us this morning. Now, we often have a little reflections section in our bulletin where we put some quotes or things that we think is interesting. And I included, included a quotation from a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. If you've not read it, it's worth reading. But the premise is, essentially, you've got a demon who's a tempter, essentially. And he's writing letters back and forth to his understudy, trying to teach him, essentially, how to keep people away from God. And in this context, they refer to God as the enemy. And he writes that there is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. This is God. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. And when we are fixated and worried about what's going to happen to us, happen to the people that we love, happen to the world around us, 
we are blocked away from seeing the bigger story that God has invited us to. It gives us tunnel vision. It reveals what we really believe. And it uncovers our value system. What do we really think our deepest need is? What is the thing that we really think we need to be okay? And how do we think that we get it? Our anxiety usually is pointed at these things. The things that we truly value, the things that truly matter, and the things that we truly think we need. And often they're out of alignment of what God says and the better life he offers. Okay. Hard part's done. That's never done. But this morning, now we're going to look at what do we do? Okay, if this is true, if we experience anxiety, if it reveals a lot of stuff in our life that we don't necessarily like, what do we do? And the first thing that we have to simply do is repent, right? That's what I had to do is I'm sitting there and I realize, God, I don't act like I believe you're actually good and strong. I have to repent. Because what anxiety essentially is doing is turning away from trusting God and fixating on our problems and our issues. And so repenting is essentially a way of turning back, of turning back to God, of putting our trust in the right place instead of our fixation on the worrisome things that are going to happen to us. So the first thing that we have to do is to repent. And the good news this morning is that repent, uh, there's that invitation to repent that comes from a very loving Christ. Now, he does call us out. He says, oh, you of little faith, not something you want God to say to you. You're like, oh man, come on. But when he says it, he's not like, really? Again? You're still not, tr- I'm done. I'm out. Forget this. This is the 9,000th time you've not trusted me today. No, he says, oh, you of little faith, I'm offering you more. You were made for more than fixation about the trivial things, often important, but temporary things of life. Turn back to me. Turn back to trust. Turn back to hope and things that truly matter. So hear that call to repent, that call to turn away from a very loving Savior. First thing we do is repent. That's usually the normal process in life when God exposes our heart. The second thing, this is not rocket science, is to believe. To believe the things that God has promised are true in this passage. To believe that you were made for more than just your stuff and your security. You were made for a more epic tale than that. To believe that God cares for you way more than he cares for birds and flowers. It should be obvious, but we forget it every day. To believe that he knows what you need. And if you pursue the things that are ultimate, he will provide for your true needs. Often, redefining what we think our needs are. But when we pursue him, he provides for us. There's also another scripture printed off in your bulletin um, from Philippians 4 that talks about essentially turning to God because he's near with all of our thanksgiving, with all of our prayers, with all of our requests. So believe that God actually is strong enough for you to pour out your anxiety and cares upon him. We repent, we believe, and then the final thing he says is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's not lose the radical nature of what Jesus is saying. He has come to a bunch of people and said, what you need most is not food, 
It is not clothing. It is not drink. What you need most is my kingdom and my righteousness. That is a fairly radical thing to say because without food and drink and clothes, we expire. We die. We need those things. But what Jesus is saying is you have a far more fundamental need. A far more essential, urgent need to be taken care of. There's that nice little verse about seeking God's righteousness. None of us brings righteousness to the party, right? If you've been alive ever, your life is marred by sin, by the sin done to us, by the sin that we commit every day. We do not have righteousness before God. We have separation from God. And what Jesus is saying is you need God's righteousness. And by the way, that is the very thing I have come to give to you. I am standing before you literally saying, you need me. Because Christ's righteousness is the great news this morning that he has come and said all of the the punishment, the consequences you have rightfully earned through your choices, I take that. That goes on my account and I pay a dear price for it. And all the righteousness that I have earned through perfectly living the life I'm supposed to live, the life you should have lived in right relationship with God, all of that right standing before God, I give to you. You need that more than you need food, more than you need drink, more than you need clothes. The righteousness of Christ that he comes to give. It's a radical thing that Jesus is saying is your most essential need is me. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus never stops when we would like him to. No, that's good. I feel feel good about that. Now I'm comfortable. He keeps going. And he calls us to pursue his kingdom. What's happening here is Jesus is essentially saying the gospel, the truth that I have come to deliver you, that you should put your hope in me, that demands a response. It is not a cute add-on to your life, but he's essentially saying there is a kingdom that is coming, God's kingdom, and I am that king. And so if you are to follow me, there is a radical reorganization of your priorities that is demanded. If you want peace... It is through drastically reorienting to your life. Now, we don't like that. Here's what I want God to do, and you're probably like me. God, here's my problems that I'm stressed out about. Could you sprinkle your magical God pixie dust over them so I'm not anxious anymore? And I'll keep doing my thing, but just just give a little God dust, and I'll feel better. That's not what he says. What he says is, you are clinging on to those things, and you have got to let go And come and cling on to me. Jesus never will be an add-on into your life. He will never be something that you tack on to be happier, to be more uh, safe, to be more comfortable. He never functions that way. And he always comes in and says, I love you. I am the king of the universe. But I demand ultimate allegiance. Follow me. And the path through peace that he offers, the path away from our anxiety is to let go of this kingdom. Because what we want to do is we want to build our kingdom, right? I want these things to be happy, to be safe, to be successful. These are the things that I need. This is my kingdom. And Jesus says, let go. What you need is me and my kingdom. And if we are to follow Christ, it is to essentially give our ultimate allegiance to this king and say, you get to call the shots. 
I don't get to be king and you get to be king. I cannot hold on to both kingdoms. That is not an acceptable path. You do not allow that. You do not invite that. You do not ask for that. But he calls us to let go and cling exclusively to him for our hope, for our security. And in that submission, there is an invitation to God to reorganize our life in the way that he sees fit for his kingdom priorities and not necessarily our comfort. But the good news is this is coming from a God who loves you and has gone to extravagant lengths to give you life. But the question becomes, will we accept his definition for what we need or will we cling to what we think we know? Now, spoiler, he's God and we're not, so he knows better. But when he comes in, he asked for a radical reorganization saying, if you want peace from your anxiety, you have got to care more about my kingdom than your own. And my kingdom is one marked by love, by justice, by mercy. If God is not a good God, do not take that offer. But if he is who scripture says he is, how could you not say, yes, this is not eternal. This is eternal life. This food I'm worrying about, yes, it's food, but you are the bread of life. I'm worried about this drink, but you are the living waters. You have come to give life and life abundantly. Where am I going to look for my hope and security? And who am I going to follow? I'm going to meddle a little bit because God meddled with me. I only feel like it's fair to meddle with you. The question rises up, what do you want most in life? This is kind of comparing the kingdom we're trying to build versus if we're pursuing his kingdom first. What do you want for your job? These are not unreasonable things I'm about to say. Security, a raise where you can you know, provide for your family and be comfortable and maybe not have your budget stretched like a rubber band every month. Or do you want God to glorify himself in your work, even if it means taking you through a very different route than you would have chosen? Security, stability, safety, or God to be glorified and to show you his love in incredible ways? I usually tend towards this. What do you want most? What do you want most for your kids? For most of us, it's this game plan, right? I can almost say this because we're going to have a son soon, God willing. So, But what do we want most for our kids? Okay, uh, they need to be in enough activities so they're well-rounded, so they can get into the good school with the good scholarships, so they can find a good spouse and then a good, get a, a, a good job and be safe and secure. Or are we willing to pray... God, have your way in my child's life. Show them your love and your glory, even if it takes them to places that are not safe, they're not comfortable, and that I would never choose for them because you know best and this is your kingdom. What do you want most? We all want not to feel anxiety. We all want not to be stressed out. But Jesus is telling you there is one path to that, and it is only through complete and total submission to him. To his righteousness, which he freely gives you, but also to his authority as the one who gets to call the shots because he loves you and he knows better than you. This is tricky stuff because it's really uncomfortable and it's really hard to let go. And culture is screaming at us all the things that we need to be happy and it is radically different than what Jesus says. So my... My challenge to you, would you sit in this this week? Would you be willing to ask God to meddle? 
He, he probably will. Would you be willing to look at your own heart, to look at the anxiety that is there about the things that you think you need, to maybe ask God to show you the ways uh, that anxiety reveals stuff about your heart? Maybe that you've lost perspective on the big story of redemption. Maybe that you really don't believe the things you say you believe when it gets into real time. Maybe that your priorities are out of alignment. And would you be willing to pray the prayer, God, forgive me for the ways I seek my kingdom first and show me how to seek your kingdom, to love and long for that more because it is so much better. That offer and that invitation is given to you today from a loving Savior. Let, Let go of anxiety. Come and trust me instead. It's a pretty good deal. I suggest you take it. But it takes us to some hard places where God really will work and meddle in our hearts, do a little bit of open heart surgery, but, but he's good and he is loving and he is kind. And that is the way to truly know peace. Let's pray this morning and ask God to help us on this journey. Lord, your word is good. And I thank you that you talk about real things like anxiety and worry that are often our constant companions. God, I pray that you would protect the people that are already feeling anxious about being too anxious that they're anxious. Would you guard their hearts? But also, would you open our hearts to see the ways in which we are accepting second best or third best or tenth best and not the full life that you come to give, a life that is lived following you with everything that we have, a life that is marked by love and peace because we are trusting in you. Would you meddle in our lives this week that uh, we might know greater how much you love us, how good you are, and that you might receive glory. And God, we, we ask for that gratefully, thankfully, in the name of Christ. Amen.